Uh, good morning, everybody. I don't know if I'm even... All right, cool. Uh, pray with me, if you will, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. God, we trust that the words of your scripture are true and we, we recognize that it's only by your spirit that we have ears to hear and eyes to see, that it's only by your spirit that our hearts will receive your truth, that it's only by your spirit that we will apply those truths. And so, God, right now, we pray that your Spirit would be moving here in our midst. We are so thankful for this opportunity to gather together, to worship together, to give together, to be taught your word by your spirit together. So remove any hindrances, Lord God. Be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, we are nearing the end of our series in Galatians. Uh, And let me just tell you that when we first started talking about uh, going through Galatians, we were thinking, oh, we'll do a little summer filler series before we jump into Genesis in the fall. And we had planned, uh, and what, what really started as an eight-week brief survey of Galatians uh, has become, I, I, I lose count after I lose you know, fingers. So it's, it's, I, I think it's been 16 now. Uh, weeks that we've been in Galatians, and it's been good. Uh, there, there's no complaints about that at all. It's been good to go through, to really dive deep into Galatians, um, and I hope and trust that as the Spirit has worked in you, you felt that. Uh, but for for me, I, I'm going to make a confession. Uh, even this week, as we were preparing and Brad was saying, you know, this week, what, what I'd like you to teach on is Galatians 6, 6 through 10, and then next week, finish out Galatians 6. I kind of did that. I kind of sighed um, because it, it does feel like, for me, that we've, we've just been here so long and, and part of me, and, and maybe this has been the case for Brad, maybe not. I don't want to speak for him. Part of me has grown a little bit Weary of it because it feels like, uh, like essentially we've just been preaching the same sermon week in and week out um, with just a different text uh, attached to it. And, and that's really because that's what we've been doing. Uh, and let me say, this is my sin right here. This is not me saying, oh, we've been in Galatians too long. This is my sin nature, becoming weary as we've gone through and we've said time and time again, look, there is no amount of good you can do to earn the favor of God. And so the only thing you can do is trust in the work of Jesus Christ. 
we've said over and over again that if you are trying to earn your salvation in one aspect of your life, then you have to earn it in every aspect of your life, and we just can't do it. And in the same way that in my sin nature and in my human uh, insufficiency, in my human finitude, my, my, my tiredness, I, I grow sort of weary of saying the same things over and over again, even though that's what I'm called to do. And in the same way that I just I want to get excited about shiny new things, and Genesis seems shiny and new even though it's really old. It seems like a shiny new thing to tackle, and, and I forget the fact that it's, what, 55 chapters? And so that's going to wear thin. If it took us 16 weeks to get through six-chapter Galatians, all I'm saying is get ready. Um, <laughs> but it's taken this time, and we've been saying the same thing over and over again. And then I read through Galatians again to prepare, and in some ways my heart is kind of eased because I think that's how Paul feels. As he's been writing this letter, he's saying, again, I have to tell you. Again, I have to say these things. How quickly... You've been tricked and departed. Who's bewitched you? Why is it that I have to say again to you that there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation? There's nothing you can do to be right with God. Only believe in, have faith in Jesus. And he's grown weary of it. And and there are times when I read Galatians and I've been reading other uh, epistles by Paul, other letters from Paul, and it feels like he's saying the same thing again and again. And really, Paul just kind of feels like this prize fighter. And it's, it's, it's not a Mike Tyson first round, 12 second knockout. You know, this is a, a 12 round just slugfest. And all the while, people are coming at the church, coming at Paul saying, you have to be circumcised to enter into the church. You have to do these things. You can blend the church with, or the faith with other faiths. You can do these things. And Paul's taking hits. And every time he comes back and he says, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. And he's coming, he's taking, Paul is like a gladiator. And to a much lesser extent, uh, I kind of, try to envision myself in that, you know, like a gladiator, preaching the same things over and over again, not just to you, but I preach to the youth, and I hope they see it. I hope they kind of can whisper it along with me because they've heard it so much that our only hope is Christ. Our only hope. And it did. It made me think of gladiator because that's what this is. This is a battle. This is a war. And in the beginning of Gladiator, now Gladiator is one of those movies, if you ask me, you know, Sean, what are your favorite movies? I might list five or six, and Gladiator probably wouldn't even be in it. But then, like, I'd get home and be thinking about it and be like, oh, why didn't I say Gladiator? You know, it's such a great movie. Um, again, it's really violent. Uh, probably, we won't call it a recommendation. We'll just say I like it. Um, but there's, <laughs> there's this scene in the beginning of Gladiator um, where... You know, 
Maximus, Russell Crowe, he's, he's in front of his troops. They're ready for battle. Um, I don't know if you guys realize this, but historically, uh, Roman soldiers were used to battle. They kind of did a lot. It was kind of Rome's thing. Uh, you know, don't have a war. Let's, let's conquer somebody else. Let's expand the territory. And so they're again in battle, and you can see it's cold. Uh, his troops are tired, and he's rallying the troops, and he says, look, um, in three weeks, I'm going to be home with my wife. You know, keep your future in mind, and it'll be so. But for now, let's band together. Stay with me. Stay the course. Stick together. If you find yourself alone wandering through fields, don't worry. You're in heaven. You're dead. Literally, that's what he says. And then he says, uh, just such a profound thing. He says to them, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That's huge. And to them, he's saying how we fight this war, how we do these things, how we advance in spite of adversity. And this sort of becomes the whole storyline is how what is he going to do in life? And then how will it echo for him in eternity? Uh, But this is the reality. And it's so profound because uh, uh, at least two assumptions. The first assumption is this, that this life is not all there is. And, and of course, he's saying it in a pagan way, in a Roman way. Uh, but this is the reality. Some of us, some of you, live your life as though that's all there is. Once the doctor calls it, once they drop you in the dirt and start shoveling dirt on top of you, that's it. And so if that's it, what are you doing? Why? Where's the hope? Where's the purpose? But they understood uh, this, this quote, the, there's, there's this reality. This is not all there is. But then it assumes something else. And that is that the things we do now will echo Forever. And this is something that we as Christians seem to struggle with. This is a gospel that we seem to preach. And that is that if you will pray a specific prayer, you will obligate God to send you to heaven. And that's where life begins. And so our hope is in this eternal life. And once you've been saved, you're just kind of killing time until Jesus comes back or until you die and you get to go to heaven. And you, we fail to realize that what we do in life, whether believers or unbelievers, it echoes throughout eternity. Another way of saying it, another way of thinking about it, at least this is what came to me, it's the sports fan in me. Uh, in 2002, if you were a Major League Baseball fan, uh, you'll remember the All-Star Game. Uh, Anybody remember how that All-Star Game ended? Right? It was 7-7, the 11th, no more pitchers, just an All-Star Game. 
call it. It's in Milwaukee. They call the game a tie. Baseball is America's sport. And if there's one thing Americans can't stand, it's a tie. And so, boom, just the, the entire country erupted in one unified boo. Just boo, you know, and, you know, Bud Selig was probably asleep. It woke him up, and it, he just, a tie in the all-star game of our national pastime. It's anathema. And so, then you began to see, over the next year, a series of advertisements. We've changed the way the all-star game is played. Now, whichever league wins, their representative team has home field advantage in the World Series. So now, rather than basing it on the merit of the season, we're going to... Sorry, that's a little... That's my problem, not yours. Um... (laughs) But then you, you remember the advertisements, right? Uh, Alfonso Soriano coming up with the bat. This time it counts. You know, like, th- that was their new thing. This time it counts. Every time before, it was just a game. It was just an exhibition. But now this time, it counts. And guess what it did? There was weight to it. It mattered. Maybe not for, like, the vast majority of the players. If you're the all-star representative of the Brewers, it doesn't matter. You know, but if you're Derek Jeter, you're out there playing for something. See what I did there, Yankees fans? (laughs) We won't talk about that right now either. But this time it counts. And, And this passage that we're moving into, essentially that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, and that's the title of the sermon. This life counts. This time it counts. Our text is Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Uh, Really, it's unfair to just start there, but that's what we're going to do. This passage, well, it starts in Galatians 1, 1. But to get the full thrust of it, we'd actually need to go back to chapter 5 and look at the whole idea of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We're not going to do that. We're going to sit in this text. I'll allude to some of those things, uh, but we're just going to read 6, 6 through 10. We're going to spend most of our time just in that little bit of text. Uh, So there you have it. Uh, So if you will, as is customary, stand with me as we read God's Word. Galatians 6, starting in verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You can be seated.
Typically, my plan of attack, my strategy for going through a text would be just to go verse by verse in order. That's not the case here because I feel like right here in the middle of this passage really is the crux of uh, this argument that starts in chapter 5 verse 16 and ends with the end of the book. And so we're going to talk about that. It's that little phrase right there in chapter in verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whatever you sow, you reap. When we talk about that first, let's look at what Paul is saying. He's saying the way that we live our lives is seen by God. It's comprehended by God. And it's judged and rewarded by God. He says it right in the beginning. Look, don't deceive yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. God will not be mocked. That phrase, God will not be mocked, in the Greek, it's, it's it's more of a colloquialism that doesn't really translate. And so it says God will not be mocked. Literally what it is, uh, the the phrase means, uh, to mock there means to turn up your nose at someone, uh, sort of to mock them, maybe behind their back they're talking and and you're being disrespectful and you turn up your nose at them. And what the Bible is saying is that there's a way that we live our lives that turns our nose up at God. And there's a way that we live our lives that doesn't. And either way, God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. So what are the possible things we can sow? Paul goes on to tell us that in the next verse. Uh, It's directly connected to verse 7. Verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so now here we've got our two options. You're sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the Spirit. Uh, And based on that, you're going to reap either corruption. And again, you have to understand this corruption is not just like a lack of sanctification. You know, this corruption is not just a hard life or a difficult existence, uh, a feeling of separation. This corruption is meant to be eternal corruption. Forever corruption. Separation from God. So much so that it's juxtaposed with what? Eternal life. And so Paul is saying, look, the stakes of what we've been talking about, they're high. These last five and a half chapters that I've written you, they're important. Because how you respond to them will determine what you reap forever. If you reap to the flesh, and look, there's, there's a whole lot of meaning here. Is Paul alluding to this idea of circumcision, which was the whole first 
part of the book, this idea that in order for Gentiles to be saved, they had to be like the Jews, and a part of that was circumcision. And so if they want to be saved, they have to be circumcised. And Paul said to them, whoa, 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 if you keep that part of the law, you have to keep all of the law, and you can't do that. Is he saying that circumcision is sowing to the flesh? Yes. But he was also talking about the work of the flesh. And you remember, Brad went through that over the course of two weeks, looking at the work of the flesh and, and all of the evil things that the work of the flesh is. And at the end of all of it, you can sum it up in this way, idolatry, right? Is it exchanging the truth of God for lies? Is that sowing the work of the flesh? The answer is yes. And all of these things bring corruption. And then what about the things of the Spirit? Sowing the Spirit. Sowing to the Spirit. What is that? Look, if I had time, I would go back and kind of review the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit and, and talk about those things. Uh, but I'm just going to say this. I, I find it very fascinating that those characteristics that are from the flesh, those are work. But those things of the Spirit, they're fruit. And fruit is something that has to be cultivated. Fruit is something that has to be sown. It, it takes work, but it's not the work. Sometimes you do the work if you're a gardener and you don't see the fruit. Something else has to happen. And what Paul is saying is that the Spirit has to be moving in you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit brings it up. And it looks like love and joy and patience so on and so forth. It's fruit of the Spirit, and so we're sowing it. It's those things being sown in our lives by the Spirit. And what's the source of that? Whose Spirit is it? Well, obviously we say it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. I like in Acts where Luke says that the Spirit of Jesus you know, Jesus promises to give us his spirit. Um, and so even in that, it's the work of Jesus that is doing it. And we've said it so many times. Paul, again, is saying the same thing. Look, if you try and work this out in your flesh, it's not going to end well. Because we are none of us strong enough, good enough, capable of meeting the standards set by God. But if we will trust in Jesus, if we will let his spirit do this work in us, we will reap eternal life. And that's kind of the center of it. What Paul is saying is, look, what you sow, you reap. And so I want to read the rest of the text in that regard. I want to look at it and see it as sowing and reaping. And I started there because it makes it easier to talk about the first part of this text. 
You know, if, you have, if you've been coming here for a while, you've probably noticed that while we have talked about money and tithing and all of those things, we don't talk about it a lot. Uh, we don't talk about it nearly as much as Jesus did. Or as the apostles did. If you're here for the first time, <laughs> you're like, oh, of course, here we go, a sermon about giving in a church. That's refreshing. But look, this is the beauty of preaching through the text as it is. We have to talk about the things that Paul or that Scripture talks about. And so we're going to talk for a second about tithing. Listen to what Paul says in in verse 6. One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And remember now we're talking about sowing and reaping. Let me ask you a question. How have you looked at tithing in the past? Especially if you're a believer. If you're a Christian. If you profess Christianity. You're a member of the church. A regular attender of church. How have you looked at tithing? I'll share with you maybe my journey through how to look at tithing. How I've looked at tithing. And I'll show you how Paul responds to that here. The first way that I used to look at tithing was sort of a a duty. I'm a Christian. I have an obligation to give my 10%. I have a lot of things that I need to spend that money on, but I don't want God to be mad at me. I don't want God to be mad at me. I want him to be happy with me. And perhaps if I tithe, that's just one less thing that will be on my conscience. And then it shifted. You you begin to read books about tithing. And you hear things like, when you give, God gives back tenfold. You know, and so then I kind of had this idea of, well, man, times are tough. If I tithe, maybe we'll get a little bit more cushion, you know? God, you see what I gave you? 10%? That's straight off the top. (laughs) Pre tax. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) We're in the beginning of a recession. (laughs) Just thought you'd like to notice that. and, and maybe if I do that, then, you know, God will give me a little cushion here or there. And then, begin to shift and think, well, tithing, and, you know, most of this is before I was here at Grace, so just kind of know that. Um, I, my, my journey has been one of um, disillusionment, with the church, followed by extreme measures and times of repentance, followed by a deep, passionate love for the church. And most of this falls before the deep, passionate love for the church. Um, And then my idea of tithing was, well, this is just paying for large programs that allow the church to pat itself on the back. All right? Just meeting that budget. The problem with that was that then I didn't feel like it was such an obligation to tithe, right? Because, I mean, the early church, the early church didn't have electricity bills. Why am I paying for that? 
right? And perhaps you fall into one of those categories. Perhaps you see tithing as just this duty, this inescapable burden that you bear. And so you do it to get God off your back. And the problem is you're still reaping to the flesh. Or perhaps you see it and you're thinking, well, this is really just a way to bribe God into giving me more. You're still reaping to the flesh. Perhaps you just see, see it as a way to make the church feel good about itself by meeting its budget. And you're tithing, you're obeying, but, but are you doing it in the spirit that Scripture teaches about, that Paul teaches about here? Now, this is what was fascinating to me just in studying this text, is that I began to realize that tithing is sowing. There's a work that's being done. Think about it. You sow the field. You plant the seed. You water. You, you care for the ground. You protect it from things that will destroy it. You're sowing in hopes that you will reap eternal things. That's what tithing is. It's sowing to the work of God. It's saying that the one who teaches the word is sharing all good spiritual things with us. And so we ought to share all good, all good things with them in knowledge that the work that they are doing is reaping eternal benefits in knowledge that the work that the church is doing is not just for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the kingdom. You're not paying the staff, even though money goes to that. You're not keeping the electricity on. You're not simply appeasing the wrath of an angry and somehow money-hungry God, even though he owns everything anyway. And it's more even than just, and this is where some of you may be, and this is good, but it's not all the way there. It's more than just saying, God has given me this and I want to give it back to him. That's good. It's good to, with our money and with our lives, lay down our crowns that have been given to us by the king, back before the king. But it's more than that. It's sowing. And so Paul, right here in the midst of this text, he says, brothers, if any one of you is taught the word, let him share all good things. And that's not just money. You know, tithing, yeah, that's money. But it's, it's all good things. All good things. It, it might be dinner at Angus Barn, and you might want to practice that tonight. I can postpone youth group. It's fine. Um, it's all good things. And look, Paul isn't just saying this because he needs money. Paul is actually going right off of what Jesus said in Luke 10. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70 to go proclaim gospel. And he says, when you go into their house, don't bring a bag with you, don't bring money, don't bring food. But let them give you food because the laborer deserves his wages. That's what Jesus said. Paul's just expounding upon that. Paul says in, in Corinthians, uh, 
Just as Christ, who is rich, made himself poor on your behalf, so you, who have much, make yourselves poor on the behalf of others. Do you see what's happening there? There's the sowing of the gospel in the action of giving. It's saying, just as I've received the gospel, so I'm going to do this so that you can see the truths of the gospel physically manifested. We'll come back to that. Tithing is sowing. Then he goes on. Don't just share all good things with the teacher. Share all good things with one another. Uh, Earlier I talked about how you grow weary preaching the same thing over and over again. That's sin. One of the probably most prominent, most, or one of the saddest effects of the fall is this idea that we quickly grow weary of things. We quickly grow unimpressed with things. You know, you're on vacation at the beach, and that first night you're sitting out on the beach looking at the sunset in California. thinking, oh, this is beautiful. The colors, the the water, the sand, the breeze. This is the most magnificent thing ever. Three days later, somebody's like, hey, look, the sun's setting. You're like, huh, what? Oh, yeah, there it is. Okay, whatever. I'm going to go eat. Right? It's amazing. You, You go... You go to TVR up in the mountains. You look out at the splendor of God. And for a moment, you're struck with awe. And you just forget. And it's like you're not even there. We went to Chicago last week, last weekend for a friend's wedding. And I was in the plane just reading. Like, sat down in the plane, buckled up, started reading my book. The little thing, you know, pay attention. This could save your life. Just read through that. Plane takes off, still reading. Plane lands, still reading. Get off. That's it. That's it. I was flying. You know, through the, in the sky, flying. And it's nothing. It's nothing to me. I've done it so much that I don't even care anymore that I'm like a billion miles in the sky over the clouds. You know, like the first time, I don't even remember the first time I flew, but the first time I remember flying, and as a kid, kids aren't affected in the same way that we are, right? You know, as a kid, you always wanted to sit by the window. You always wanted to, to have the window up. You know, everybody's mad because the sun is like, who knows, nobody else can see, but somehow you can, and, and, and the flaps of the plane is, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're in the air. Mom, we're in, Whoa! You know, it's like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And it is. But we're sinful. You want to see pictures from outer space? I'm like, yeah, well, J.J. Abrams did it better. You know? It's space. We shoot things into space and we just grow weary. We just, we're unimpressed. We get tired of it. And Christians, man, we have the same problem. What are we called to do? We're called to do good to everyone, especially the household of the faith. But we grow weary of doing good. 
We grow weary of preaching the gospel. If you remember when you were first a believer, man, it was exciting. It was awesome. You couldn't wait to tell everyone what Jesus had done in your life. But by the end, you, now, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You can come to church with me if you want. Got a home group. You can do that. Like, the, the vigor, the, it's gone. The thrill is gone. We've grown weary. Paul says, don't grow weary of doing good because what you are doing is eternal. Don't grow weary of doing good because doing good is sowing. It's sowing things that will reap eternal life, not just for you, but for those whom you are doing good to. As they see your good works, and what does Jesus say? And they glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is big. We must fight the impulse to grow weary of doing good with all that we have. And we must continue to steadfastly do good. In other words, we must continue. We must sow the gospel in word and deed. That's what Paul is saying. And so we're going we're gonna to be done here in a second, but I just want to give you some practical ways to do this. Here's some ways to sow the gospel in word. First, devote yourself to the word. This is that internal sowing. Devote yourself to scripture. Read it. Love it. Eat it. Memorize it. Be about it. Know it. Live it. Breathe it. Pray for the lost. Pray for unbelievers. Pray for your leaders. Why is that sowing? Because that's what we do. We preach the word. It's hard work and we may grow weary at times, but trust me when I say there is nothing else I'd rather do than preach. It is, there are very few things I'd rather do than preach and, and it is among my favorite things to do. Do not Forget that. And so when you pray for us, you're praying that God would strengthen us, that you'd give us wisdom, that he would help us as we prepare so that as we preach the gospel, the Spirit would move in his word, rightly proclaimed. Pray for your leaders. Tithing, we just talked about that. Living missionally. If you're in a home group, you're really going to have a chance to break down what that means. But essentially what that's saying is, God has put you on a mission regardless of where you are and to live missionally is always to live with that mission in mind, with that idea that you are called to make disciples. And so whether you're mowing your lawn, whether you're going to work, whether you're inviting your neighbors over for dinner, all things you must do if you want to live missionally, You're keeping in mind the reality that this is for a purpose. This is to show them that Christ has loved me and so I love them and they can know the love of Jesus. Missional living. Parents, catechize your children. What? If you didn't grow up in a liturgical church, you may not have heard that term before. There are catechisms, there are questions that... Uh, that would be asked of church members and children and their responses. For example, the first question of the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the response is, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Look, you don't have to go through catechisms to do this. The reality is just teach your kids the word. And not only that, teach them doctrinal truth. 
pour, sow into your children seeds of the gospel, seeds of truth. And then teachers, take seriously, and when I say this, I mean teachers in the church, home group leaders, Children's ministry teachers, us as preachers, I'm preaching to myself here. I have a friend who tweeted, he's a pastor, he tweeted yesterday, if I preached to others half as well as I preached to myself, I'd be a great preacher. Uh, Sometimes, a lot of times I feel that way, but take seriously the responsibility of teaching. Another way that you can do this, well, we'll talk about that in a second. And those are ways that, there's so many more, but those are ways that you can sow the gospel in word. Um, Here are some ways to sow the gospel in deed. First, devote yourself to the word. You have to know scripture. Pray for each other. Pray for your leaders. Tithe. All of these things, again, they shift our mindset and they're used to care for others. Right? When we talk about in word, we're talking about that gospel proclamation. When we talk about in deed, we're talking about doing things that point to the gospel, doing things that point to the kingdom and its king. And so like when we feed people, that's the gospel indeed, but we feed people because Jesus is king and in his kingdom there is no hunger and we want to give them a taste of that and say we know a person, we know a king who if you will serve, you will find all the nourishment you could ever need. Living missionally, it's funny, it seems the same. Creating a community of sharing. That means you have to share your needs as well as what you have with one another. And parents, lead and love, provide for your children like Jesus. I'm going to add another one. Home groups are a big part of what we do. And a lot of our home groups have a lot of children. So if you're a college student especially, but but high schoolers, any of you, um, you can sow the word and deed by volunteering to babysit you don't even have to volunteer. I think we actually pay child care workers. So you don't even have to volunteer. But by keeping children so that our home groups can have an entire study without much disruption. And we're, we're in need of that. So that's one practical way that you can sow the gospel indeed here in the church. And like Paul said, Uh, These things that we sow, they have eternal consequences, right? Uh, The things that we sow, they're either sowing eternal corruption or eternal life. Uh, This has eternal consequences. And brothers, sisters, remember, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Will you sow to the Spirit? Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his spirit lives within us. If we have believed into him, if we have trusted in his work, accepted the gift of life that comes from his dying on the cross, from his being raised again, from the promise of him coming again to make all things right. Thank you for your spirit. Pray that we would live by the spirit, that we would reap, or that we would sow to the spirit and that we would be eternally minded knowing that if we do this, we will reap eternal life.
starting even now. We pray that as we do these things as a church and as individuals, that your son Jesus would receive all the glory. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. I'm at an impasse when I think about these words that we've heard, this word that we've heard today. Because how, if you are not just completely finding yourself in the, uh, what we would call the, the, the most positive place that we could be, based on these words, that is completely, you know, in the Spirit, the Spirit of God working in and through you, and your heart and mind are all completely in the right place, and, and you're living in your mind and heart and your body, soul, spirit, everything, you know, firing on all cylinders, so to speak. Just, just if you're not there, how do you get there? You know, we have all this encouragement to, to, to do this, but, but we find our flesh, you know, cutting, us, cutting our feet right out from under us because the moment we, we try to go there, we're working at it. And then we start patting ourselves on the back when things are going good, and, 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 when, and then we're right back there sewing to the flesh when we pat ourselves on the back. So how is it that we get there? And I find it... I find it interesting that at the end of Galatians, um, you know, at the end of at the end of all Paul's letters, we it's where we get a lot of our words for benedicting, you know, and there's these there's this paragraph of eloquent, you know, speaking well into your life and the final encouragement that Paul gives. But I find it interesting that in Galatians it's brief, and I'm going to pose uh, to you today that perhaps this is the only way that we get there. So if you would, stand and receive this benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.